Hi, welcome to this Gateway House uh, podcast, a weekly discussion on uh, international affairs uh, in relation to India and India's foreign policy. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Lewis, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about Chinese e-commerce and the internet landscape in China uh, in light of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi's visit to China, where he's going to be in Xi'an, Beijing, and Shanghai starting tomorrow. Um, so Chinese internet companies and e-commerce players have really uh, started to emerge in India's upcoming uh, e-commerce space. Alibaba uh, have announced investments into Paytm. Xiaomi has sold a million phones in just under a year. Uh, Tencent's WeChat app is uh, starting to become a, c- a competitor to WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. So really, people in India are going to take notice, or they have to take notice now, of Chinese uh, e-commerce landscape. Um, So I'm joined by a very exciting panel of uh, experts who each have their own uh, unique and diverse uh, experience and range in in China's uh, e-commerce landscape. Joining from Hong Kong, uh, we have uh, Professor Jack Ma, who is a professor at City University of Hong Kong. Uh, Welcome, Jack. Uh, Thanks, Dev. He's going to be leading our discussion today, and he's got uh, tons of business experience with China and Japan and the e-commerce scene there. Joining us uh, from Shanghai, we have Jared, who is uh, one of the few foreigners to have worked with uh, both uh, multiple Chinese companies and has his own business in China as well. His ventures include China Swirl, which is a China's first and only cinnamon roll bakery, as well as MindSpark Press, a publisher for easy-to-read novels in Mandarin. Um, so I'm sure he's got a lot to tell us about the startup uh, industry in uh, China. Uh, joining us also from China, uh, from mainland China, is Pat, who is a consultant for Wei Guo, an O2O, or an online-to-offline e-commerce company based in Hangzhou. Uh, welcome, Jared. Welcome, Pat. Hey, thanks so much. And uh, last but not least, we've got uh, wonderful Penny, who's joining us from Shenzhen, which uh, borders Hong Kong. Uh, she is a sales engineer of LED chips and lamps in Shenzhen, and uh, above all, an avid user of China's many e-commerce and internet apps, and she will definitely weigh in on uh, what's so special about uh, China's e-commerce scene. Um, So without further ado, Jack, I'm going to yield this mic over to you uh, to really kick-start this discussion and uh, tell uh, our Indian readers and Indian listeners, sorry, of uh, what this Chinese e-commerce story is really all about. Well, thank you very much, Dev. Um, it, it, it is an amazing story because China has grown from nothing to become what is probably the world's biggest e-commerce market within 20 years. So I remember very clearly when I first arrived in Shanghai back in 1995, And my friend's dad was a professor at Fudan University, and we got to Telnet into the internet because they were the only ones who had it. And I was able to send the, you know, one of the first emails uh, from China. And back then, the the entire concept of the internet was just unknown. I mean, it's not only that China did not have the internet; it's that there was no telecom infrastructure whatsoever. But, you know, we sort of worked on it quite a bit, a lot of us, a lot of people, and um, it was, China made some incredibly good decisions 
in terms of investing in not the old school fixed line technology, but in the new school super fast broadband technology. So China leapfrogged essentially, which means they sort of skipped a step. You know, not a lot of people in China have even really had fixed lines. And I think this point is incredibly relevant to India and other de developing markets. Um, and from there, you know, once the infrastructure was sort of in place, which started around the year 2000 or 2001, um, that was when it's time to, uh, to start to build the internet. And that's when the first Chinese internet giants really started to emerge. And we have, uh, he's not with us tonight, but he has asked a question on the panel, which we will uh, include in a bit. Uh, Porter Erisman, who was the first uh, senior vice president of marketing for Alibaba and worked very, very closely on Taobao and these projects. Um, it grew just fantastically quickly o over that period because in my feeling, Chinese people really, really wanted to reach out to each other and be able to skip over some of the difficulties they had in solving problems and do them faster. And the internet was clearly the solution, much more so, I think, than in developed countries where you always had other options. The internet was just one go-to place. But in China, it was the go-to place. And I think that's why it caught on so fast. And I see the same thing happening in India and in Africa and in Latin America and many other places. So you have these companies like Alibaba, uh, Xiaomi, obviously, is making the technology, Tencent, who's Alibaba's you know, uh, biggest competitor, and of course Huawei, who is doing the backbone for all of this. Um, but at the same time, I think one of the key issues that you have to think about is China has blocked the major in internet innovators from really being able to succeed. And this includes Google, Facebook, YouTube, etc. Um, in China uh, through the use of uh, firewalls and other technology. So they have either pulled out or scaled on their presence or in the case of Mark Zuckerberg, he's, you know, learned Mandarin, which, you know, his Mandarin's not bad. You know, you, you may have heard his speech. Um, so the big, there's a really important set of questions that surround this. First of all is, should foreign companies even bother investing in China? And second, should India and other developing markets do the same and balkanize their internet, which I, I wrote an article for Gateway House on uh, very recently. Um, the next thing, though, is that the, you know people like Pat and people like Jared are working on very dynamic new startups which have new ideas. And as Dev mentioned, 
the giants are already investing in them, whether they're the Chinese giants or the Silicon Valley giants. Uh, everyone realizes that this space is in motion. So that's one of the things I think that we should talk about tonight. Um, and the, the final thing I think that it's really good to talk about is, um, you know, what should India do? What should other emerging markets do? Which market should they follow and, and why? So that's how I'd like to start the discussion. So who would like to start? Why don't I ask a question to you, Jared? Um, okay. You're, you are a retailer. That's right. And you're primarily doing offline retail. And we have both, yeah. So how can the Internet help or hurt you as a startup and do you think it represents an opportunity for growth or is it simply a competitor well i think uh, uh, one thing we're looking at is some of the more recent uh chinese uh history i think really can create a better perspective on the market and and really relates into the uh online e-commerce sphere um for for a generation, um, perhaps longer, but specifically a generation coming out of the Mao era and, and certainly into the post-Mao era, uh, the government propaganda has, machine has just been um, on top of its game, so to speak, uh, continually telling uh, the people what they want them to hear. Um, with the Internet, uh, it, it's certainly liberalized a lot of that. Uh, and it's allowed people to kind of have their own voice and to kind of sometimes... Uh, maybe go different to popular opinion, but also introduce new ideas and opinions. So what, what I'm making out with that is that uh, a lot of people are turning to the Internet for um, you know, information about products. And so uh, even what I've, what I've seen in, in, in even the food and beverage industry here in Shanghai is that it's heavily influenced um, by online opinion. And that comes in the form of, you know, customer reviews of rest restaurants that are posted on a very popular websites. So, for example, the in China, the most popular um, rating website is called Dianping, and um, and what is it's kind of like in America, there's Yelp, in China have Dianping, Dianping, yeah. and it's really really big. And so we have a lots of people will base their purchasing decision where they want to eat, where they want to go, is based on what user reviews are. And um, but even with that, it's kind of funny here in the China market that's it's gamed. Uh, if you go on to Taobao, which we're going to talk more about, I'm sure tonight, you can actually buy reviews on Taobao for your restaurant, and you can pay more for a top-rated reviewer or just a something really cheap for you know, low-rated reviewers, and, and uh, Dianping rates the reviewers based on how reliable, how much upvotes their reviews have had, and how many reviews they've given. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics going on here for anything online and offline. People, what we're seeing is people are turning to their, um, uh, to the internet to get information on what they want to purchase. And this is happening all over the world, but it's, it's definitely growing at a rapid pace here. But are they really able to get the correct information, or is it all gamed, as you say? I mean, that's sort of the key question. And for other developing markets, how should they approach this question? 
Well, I think what I've seen is that there's a little bit of uncertainty for new products and products that haven't been around a while. However, you know, once something's been around for a couple of years and, you know, you're having something like, a, you know, uh, hundreds and thousands of reviews, it, it, people kind of at that point know what they expect. So how are you guys doing? Um, on the expat side of things, we're actually the number two rated F&B business in Shanghai, which is nice. Wow. Um, and, and on the Chinese side of things, we're four and a half out of five stars, which is pretty good still. Well, that's fantastic. Okay, so let's... How much let's, did that cost you? Patrick, Patrick. <laughs> we, we didn't pay for anything, thankfully. <laughs> Well, I, I can I can tell about this is something that's really interesting. Um, one of my good friends, he's one of the um, he's the senior VPs in, at Dianping. You know, th this whole market, the rating industry uh, for evaluations of restaurants, or anything, it is ultra competitive. I mean, it's ultra competitive. It, Dianping, it's still privately held by investors. They are on their eighth round of funding. I mean, if you look in the Silicon Valley, it's wow. extremely rare that you know a company even goes to a fifth round of funding six is like unheard of they're on their eighth they are still burning cash and and they're not really making money because the strategy is is just to bleed everyone out and they are the biggest one but even though they're the biggest they only got something like 20 25 percent share of the market and they're just got to bleed everyone else out well why don't we put this back in the perspective of the consumer who is ultimately the person who is going to be, you know, having to deal with the products and their quality or not. So, Penny, why don't mm -hmm. we ask you a question? Um, what do you think of these online reviews? Do you believe them? Do you not believe them? Do you think they're credible? Do you follow them? You know, what's your feeling about this? Well, now... I believe in Alibaba, but there are also some bad things happened online purchasing. Many people made some bad choice when they purchase online. But uh, but uh, there's big questions like what I what I had before. Many of my friends uh, they don't trust they don't trust these online apps because sometimes they were leak their information were. Uh, Get uh, lied by the suppliers. So, th this is one of these kind of questions or problems. So, what do you trust? Well, I trust, and um, I trust Alibaba, Alipay a lot because I use it for a long time. And what do they provide that's different than everyone else? Because they have uh, they have insurance about their payments. Maybe just because just I have used this for a long time, and I never be lied, uh, feel feel I was lied by them. Okay, okay. So let's change the topic a little bit now, guys, because we have limited time. Um, why don't we ask this question? Um, I am a young and talented entrepreneur from Mumbai who wants to take his fast-growing startup to China. What is the startup ecosystem in China for foreign entrepreneurs? 
and how do I either master it or not? But, you know, I'll just chime on one thing about this, about I, anyone trying to come into the, into the, uh, the market here. The first thing you have to look at is, the, is what industry you're entering in. There's something called the China Foreign Investment Catalog, and China denotes these industries into three categories. There's encouraged, restricted, and prohibited to foreign investment. So you have to kind of look where does your, 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 your uh, startup or your idea fall in. If you're encouraged, I mean, that's great. doesn't mean it's going to be easy or like they're really going to say, yeah, come set up shop. But you're going to have less regulatory hurdles compared to something that's restricted, which may be have to have joint venture partners, special licenses, or have minority stake in the venture. Or if it's entirely prohibited, like some you know military industries, well, you just you know don't even get started. It's just you know just it's dead on arrival. Jared, what are some of the big incentives you would say of the Chinese uh, environment for someone here who would want to? bring a startup to Shanghai or China? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that, that that question is quite obvious. The big incentive is you have a huge and increasingly rich market that likes to consume, right? Um, the disincentive is, you know, all of, all of the sort of regulatory blockage. So, you know, if, you know, Google Google made this choice that, several years ago that China only represented 3% of their revenue and it wouldn't go up very much, so they just dropped them. Um, on the other hand, maybe you're more committed. So I think this is something that people have to think about, right? Um, but clearly, the China, you know, well, this is another question that I should throw back at you guys. You know, and I, I've been working with a lot of e-commerce players who are sort of flipping this model on its head. They are taking foreign products and selling them back into China, which is something I've done a, a quite a bit too. So do Chinese consumers want foreign products? And why or why not? Absolutely. So I've been talking quite a bit. I'm happy to leave this to a question for someone else. But I've actually looked into uh, a couple startups in this area. Um, which what you're lacking here right now in China is there's a lot of lack of trust in uh, guochang uh, or uh, Chinese-made products. So foreign products are seen as superior. Um, but what you also have is right now that what I see there's a lot of demand and a lot of opportunities for things for specialized products in certain industries, in most industries, and that are made by uh, small and medium-sized businesses in home countries. So what I see, for example, there's a lot of European and American companies coming who are small and medium businesses exporting to China. Uh, maybe they have a specific type of good quality equipment or uh, product that people have access to, to here, but they don't have access to good quality. It's maybe just some cheap product, which does the job, but it's not very good. And so people now are wanting better quality and higher quality products. And that's an opportunity. What do you think about this, Penny? Well, um, yes, uh, Jaria is right. People in China, is, some of them want high quality, and they don't believe in some of the Chinese suppliers. Well, that's it. That is a problem for Chinese. 
but but you know the government should uh, encourage them company to do their to make their global brand to in, improve their quality to build their own brand that is I, I think this is a good way so how can they do that they should teach the and uh, and, and why mm -hmm. sh why is that the government's problem why shouldn't the companies do it themselves well it is the government's uh, job to do this because uh, you know if if we don't build our own brand and we we can't earn that by selling the just old products because people don't trust them they will they won't pay a big money for it so if so if if they want to earn a high profit they need to build this kind of brand to make people believe them and it's hard for uh, one supplier in China to do this because you know it's a big cost for them no one wants to try so the government should encourage encourage the manufacturer to improve to make a big step further well that that's I, I agree but well Patrick I know you have very deep experience in supply chain what do you think about this issue I think we lost Patrick he's gone oh, okay okay <laughs> all right okay so we'll, we'll, we'll save that question um, the one last sort of general question before we sort of move into the end and into any questions you guys have for us is um, what is what is really cool and attractive about China's e-commerce landscape today and why would that attract other people in other emerging markets to go out and just, you know, just like Ma Yun did, you know, take a huge chance to make a big success? Well, I think um, one thing is that the market is just so big. Um, you know, we, I think right now, I, I'm thinking 2014 numbers. I don't know what they are now, but I think last year was about 570 million people are using the Internet in China. I mean, that's huge. Uh, that's that's larger than the population of pretty much any other country, except India. Um, so you, the, the the market the penetration here is 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 utterly huge. Um, plus, it's kind of interesting how people are using the internet here. Um, most of those people are using their mobile devices. Their phone is their computer. They don't have laptops or tablets. It's it's more of their phone. So it creates a lot of interesting opportunities here in in educate in in sorry the e-commerce market, um, and it's very dynamic. It's changing, but I think the risks are also very real. Uh, I've seen uh, some entrepreneurs come here and they got the great idea, but it's, this goes the same with any market. But it's promotion. How are you going to get people to use your app or find about your product? And it does take a lot of work. It takes a lot of filtering through, um, you know, different things that are working and not working. But what I have seen, and I'll, I'll go back to like Dianping and another one called, um, what is it? It's Didi Dacha. It's a taxi app here in China. Yep. Um, and it's for help people call taxis. Now, there's two warring apps. There's Didi Dacha and Quietcha. Um, well, they merged. They, they, they actually merged. They did, they did, but pre-merger, 
well, before they actually right. sealed the deal, <laughs> right. they were like head to head of these guys. Yeah, and well, here's what they're know. doing. <laughs> they've got they've got teams of people on the ground that were going out to like airports, and where the taxis are standing in a in a standing you know lined up, and they're sitting there. Have people talk to the taxi drivers? Say, hey, look at this app. You can get more people to. You can get more riders if you do this. You know, it's more clear. They teach them other. They download it right then and get them set up on the app. And even what did, happened did is that work? Was, yeah, and that's how quite each sorry DD started taking over the market because they started getting more and more taxi drivers on it. Because Uber, but what happened? Uber is getting just destroyed in China. Uber's, they got a different segment. They're kind of like a different segment. They have no segment. Well, I mean, that's a different discussion, definitely. Okay, uh, okay. But I think... <laughs> All right, we'll stay away from that. <laughs> what was interesting is what Quidi Chubb was doing is that they started wising up, and they got their own people. And they would sometimes, they go in, they go further down the line after the DDDHO guys had been there, and they say, oh, wait, this app sucks. You know, don't use it. You know, use our app. And they delete it from the from the phones and put dd.cha. <laughs> and there were times where there were even like fights between these people. There were like fights breaking out between these reps from dd.cha and Quidditcha fighting over you know <laughs> whose territory and everything. So, so Jared, I mean, did they brutal. offer anything different from each other? Not exactly. Well, actually, yeah, dd.cha in order to get the taxi drivers on there for a period of about three four months. They were giving them extra money of like 10 quai for every ride. And I think that's how it really tipped the scale. So all these taxi drivers are like, whoa, I can earn an extra 50 quai <laughs> or an extra 100 quai, you know. And they were making more money for a couple of months, like, which made it a big deal, right? Yeah, sure. But, you know, these guys burned the cash. You see, that was a strategy, man. That's that these EDHL was just, they would burn so much cash just to beat down the competition. And they finally buy out their competitor. How's it working out now? I, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it's, that's what it's take. It is ultra hyper competitive in certain segments. I'm going to go back to Dianping. Dianping, what they have is they found with the restaurants, it's something like even in Shanghai, only about 20% of the, in, of the uh, restaurants have internet. And so online well, marketing didn't even Only work. 20% of their Restaurants have internet in the restaurants. Correct. So when you're trying to online advertise to the boss or employees <laughs> saying, hey, you know, register your company with Dianping. Oh, here's promotions you can do on our website. It was just no use. So they, once they, again, they've got... They don't, they don't understand what a website is. They, yeah, a lot of them will never have a website. You know, these are just some guys that come from small towns and come in here and set up little restaurants or... There's all sorts of scales up to big, you know, really hey professional guys, ones. No, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm, I mean, this is, but this is a very serious point you have to take in emerging markets is that people do not see the world the same way as uh, they necessarily do in emerged markets. You're absolutely right. And... What Dianping does is they, once again, have guys on the ground, salespeople, go to the restaurants, talk to them, show them, promote their products, because you can pay to promote on the website. And that's how they get people interacting with it. They set them up on their phones. They, 
do all sorts of things so that they now build the business. And that's what it takes. But they have to hire people to get on the ground for what? How many, you know, hundreds and thousands of cities all over China? I mean, you talk about that. It's just a huge investment well, uh, and a, a big cost in order to try to take the, be the number one on the market. What, what do you think about this, Penny? Is this a good strategy or a bad strategy? Well, I think uh, it's a it's not a good way to uh, compete just by killing the another competitors. So, Penny, what are the major apps that you use? You said Alibaba was one. Do you use Weixin or any other ones? Yes, for social communications, Weixin and QQ is the top top one in China. But for um, just as Jared said, um, if I want to order the food or the uh, rent the hotel, I will go to Dianping or uh, Meituan. They are very uh, the top company in China doing this kind, and it's helped me a lot. Help many Chinese people to save the money and also promote the business for the uh, businessmen. I think they are doing great. So what what about this Weixin app? I mean, it's you said it can order, you can order a taxi, you can do these different services. So what all do you use Weixin for? Many I use Weixin for just communication, uh, share my life with friends, but now they have more function in Weixin. They start to uh, offer the service of paying. Last week, uh, last week I go to Rainbow Markets and I can, they suggest me to use 10, uh, 10 pay for the for the beer, and it's quite a convenience, and I think uh, they have a good idea to doing this. Very convenient for us. So, so Penny, would you be willing to do like all of your transactions through Weixin if it was convenient enough? Uh, well, I prefer to use AliPay. Because you know, all, almost all my transaction I do is on Alipay, and I'm getting use of this. I, I don't want to have too much payment account. But I th- uh, their strategy is good because uh, we shouldn't we use it or not. So they have a ha- have a good uh, basement of uh, users, and it's also convenient and. I think they are doing great. So really, it's like Ali, AliPay and Tencent's Tempe, which are dominating the scene. So, uh, I mean, Jared, in, in your experience uh, in China's internet space, are Tencent and Alibaba completely dominant? Is there anybody else? Yeah, I think when you go to AliPay, is certainly dominant. Um, WeChat is building their um, online payment. Uh, and they've got some clever ways that they're doing, getting people to start using it. So that's yes. growing. Um, and, but Tencent, as far as dominating the online communication, absolutely. It's kind of interesting. It's gone in waves. You know, we had here, um, we've had, we had the Facebook knockoffs, which were Kaixingwan and RenRen.com. And now those were, everyone was looking at those, and then they, boom, they tapered off. Uh, it would be with the rise of Weibo. Weibo was kind of like a mix between Twitter and Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. but it was an open system. 
And Weibo is just everyone's like, oh man, Weibo's the next, you know, it's the internet darling. And now then, Tencent came out with Weixin or WeChat, and now yeah. Weibo is taking a hit. And everyone's, I mean, seriously, everyone's on Weixin. Nowadays, like, I don't even send texts. I'm like, you get a text, I somebody sends me a text, I'm like, Where, what's wrong with you, you know? I mean, I'm Weixin, I don't want to do this text thing, you know? You know, I, I get a picture from, um, I see this funny picture. Oh, I took a picture of something, and my wife's, oh, I want that picture. Oh, well, boom. Within a matter of five seconds, she's got it on her device and can post it on Facebook or whatever. You know, it's uh, it's a really an amazing multivariate thing. Now, but the interesting thing about Weixin is it's still in its infancy. I'm really interested to see how things go. Um, because we are, I do have an F&B business, we've looked into um, integrating WeChat with uh, some ordering systems, people order things on that, and it is, it's still very developer heavy. So I think uh, mm -hmm. until they in, improve the... Um, user uh, base. Not, not the well, user or base. the I'm user interaction. The, for the user, the, yeah, the API, thank you. So the back end, right? Yeah. For, so for me, for businesses, to be able to set up on it. Because right now, if I want to set up my own online ordering system or something, I'm going to have to pay, you know, probably 20,000 RMB to a company to get everything, you know, programmed and set up. It's like, and not a lot of people have experience in it. Um, so there's, there's a lot, it has a lot of room to grow. Okay, guys. So, um... You know, as we're, we're we're getting close to the end here, uh, we have another um, uh, virtual panelist, uh, Porter Arisman, who was the former senior vice president of international marketing at Alibaba, and had a very very key role in developing, um, you know, all of their products. And he has recently published a book called Alibaba's World, which has been published um, uh, all over the world. And Porter's question is, in the past, Indian and Chinese companies used to look to Silicon Valley for inspiration. Now, entrepreneurs in each of these countries are looking to each other for inspiration. What mobile ideas from China do you think would be applicable to India? And on the other hand, what can Chinese entrepreneurs learn from developments on the ground in India? I ask all of you to respond. Well, I'll, I, I can jump in there a little bit and talk about some of the aspects that I think uh, the Indian uh, landscape can absorb from China. Um, so I was reading that uh, Alibaba and Tencent have really been moving beyond just e-commerce and getting into sort of governance and utilities, uh, whether it's allowing payment uh, using smile technologies, where it's actually like a selfie almost, and you, you know, it grabs your face and authorizes a, authorizes a payment. Or uh, even, uh, you know, Alibaba and Tencent are setting up these e-banks where you actually have banks that, you know, no, no brick, no mortar banks. I think these are uh, solutions that would really fit the, the Indian landscape, really, because you have a large population who are still in rural areas. You know, in it, internet penetration is less than 50%, which I, which I think where China was about 5, 10 years ago. 
So I think a lot of these solutions and, mo- and most Indians are getting on the internet for the first time through their smartphone, not through laptops, just like the Chinese are. So I think a lot of these solutions really could, if brought into India, can really help India, if you look at uh, you know, Prime Minister Modi's Digital India campaign, which is really about getting a lot of governance and getting like, public utilities from taxes to healthcare on these mobile or uh, virtual platforms. So I think this, in this respect, I think it, although China, the Chinese examples haven't succeeded just yet, it's still very much in the trial phase, as Jared was talking about, these new features coming in. But I think they've, they've obviously developed further, more than some of the Indian companies have. And I think that's something that would be very interesting from the Indian point of view of how we can get those technologies here in India. Jared? Well, um, my... my Knowledge of, of uh, the inner e-commerce uh, industry in India is very limited. I've only been there to India once, and it was for uh, a week. Um, but I, I imagine there are so many parallels, um, but also so many great differences. Um, I mean, it's certainly developing countries. I, what I do know is, is that how... Um, uh, Mobility devices. I think uh, the the focus around the world is is uh, gearing towards mobility based devices, and um, and that's that's going to continue to I, I imagine stay the norm. It's the, these devices may change form or size, shape, but they will always be mobile. I believe from here on out. Um, <clears throat> and uh, but in China, some specifically things which would translate over well to India. Um, once again, I'm not entirely sure because I don't know what India already has in some of these spheres that we've talked about. So I'm kind of punting right here. Man. Let me think about it again. Maybe come back to me. That's fine. And Penny, Penny, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I I agree with uh, Jared. I don't know what India have now, but I heard from my from my friend. They they think uh, India have a good supply chain. Uh, Maybe we should learn from this. And what what we Indian can learn from us? I think Alibaba have a very good app. Is Alipay? Maybe that's a good way. Cause, cause you know the mobile mobile phone is widely used in India now, and they have a function like face to face payment. That is very convenient and safely. I think maybe this is a breakthrough. And 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 you know, you guys, I will just say the obvious. I think that you know. China has built an incredible infrastructure, but really needs to work on its services. And India is very good at services, but needs to work on its infrastructure. So I'm, I, I, that's where I see the, um, uh, the, the convergence coming through. Um, well, Jack, I, I have a question going off that. I mean, yes. Looking at the Chinese space, I mean, you have all these... Chinese companies, like which are you know only in China and not anywhere else. Whereas in India, you're seeing international com- companies succeed. I mean, Facebook's the Facebook and WhatsApp are number one, number two for mobile messaging. Uh, likewise, Gmail is the number one email app. So even though there are all these similarities between the demographics and the development as a society and as an economy, India is quite different in that regard. So. Is it, it, how how do you see that play like affecting how uh, you know what whether what kind of companies succeed in India and is it just international companies who will just you know set up shop and succeed? 
I am the father of two young boys, and the only thing I can ever think about teaching them is to learn how to succeed on their own. So I think that while India can learn from China, India does not have to copy China. India can do things in a different way, and the whole world will be better for it. So that's what I strongly believe. You know, I think uh, maybe maybe something to just chime on in is that there there are, of course, very vast cultural differences between China and India, and some of them I think have just been kind of touched on. So I, I think um, one thing that worked very well for China here, and I'll go back to like. Um, specifically Taobao, which is owned by Alibaba. It's the e-commerce China here in Shanghai, in China. Um, they really beat out Amazon, who came in here. Uh, now, there were certainly a lot of management issues, but I want to, uh, there's one was key feature that was a problem here, and I think is a problem in many developing markets, and that's trust. Trust in what it is you're buying. Um, and one of the defining features of, of um, Taobao is a chat function. allows the user or the the customer to chat with the seller not just send a message but actually have a real-time chat function and that eliminated a lot of barriers um i mean every site has their their product ratings and reviews and everything but actually be able to one-on-one -on -one communicate with them and ask specific questions really what it, it allowed the customers to develop trust in the sellers and trust in the system and that's one of the things that beat them out I do know that those are there's a lot of trust issues as well in India. It's a developing market. There's a lot of people out there, you know, cheating and you know selling fake goods. This happens all over the world, but it's certainly rife in developing markets. So I would imagine uh, things that introduced confidence from the, in the buyer that can instill confidence in the buyer is something that uh, can really I think India can learn from or any country can learn from and it's been replicated there's a lot of good examples I think in probably every country Penny do you have any comments on this okay so uh, Jack if I might just jump in for a second um, so I was so uh, Walt Mossberg who's uh, one of the founders of Recode uh, in the US I think he was in China recently he, he had a trip for about a week where he met all these small and large tech companies. And he put out an article a couple of weeks ago claiming that the next Samsung will come from China. Uh, and he seemed pretty positive that, you know, this this really was, like, is going to happen whether it's in the next year or next five years. Um, how, how would you, Jared and Jack, how, how would you evaluate that? Would you, do you, would you agree with them? Do you disagree? Well, didn't that happen? Let me just let me just tell you guys what the reality is. Um, I have talked to some major players, and we have all done the best research that is possible by humankind, and we have found that the supply chain information that comes from the mainland will never be reliable. That is why. People will not buy products from China unless price is the major constraint. And even if price is the major constraint, I think it's going to 
come back and smack them in the faces. So I think China has to clean up their act. So when you, when you say clean up, what specifically uh, are you Clean up to? their act. I mean stop destroying with, uh, the environment. Oh, okay. Stop destroying the environment. Stop creating fake products. Stop, stop cheating. Stop lying. Tell the truth and do the right thing. So even even the like the Xiaomi, uh, all the the phones that it's selling. Xiaomi, is it? Xiaomi is just it's a cheap copy of Apple. Everyone knows it. It's not a big story. It's a small story. Actually, I I think I might disagree on that. Um, That's fine. Yeah, you know, the Xiaomi, Xiaomi. I actually own a Xiaomi phone. Um, I was uh, went to go buy a new phone about six months ago, and they said, "Well, you can get the Xiaomi." I've heard a lot about it. I've actually, one of the founders was a classmate of mine, and uh, he actually invited me to come work for them three years ago. I turned him down. Little did I know then what they would uh, be now. Uh, and I, and as I've used the Xiaomi phone, absolutely, a lot of the there's functionality. It's modeled after um, the iPhone, but I would. Invariably, I would argue it is a better operating system. It's much more. It's more intuitive. It's better designed. Any little complaints you might have about the iPhone, I think, have been greatly modified and fixed in the, in the Xiaomi uh, phones. And fantastic, they're they're a fantastic operating system. And because they started out as kind of a freeware, it's kind of a um, a Linux type concept. Uh, a lot of developers went into uh, spending time on this, and it's a very good phone. So I do think Xiaomi is going to, I don't know what the future is going to be, but I think they've got a bright one. Well, I, I don't know much about Xiaomi because I'm a hacker and I use Android. Um, I've never used an iPhone in my life. Um, but I, I, I'm sure you're right. Well, I know a lot of Indians will agree with uh, Jared because the, the Xiaomi fanboys have become, become all, a, rea all, a reality all, now. All, all I know, all I know, Jared, is that iPhone's margins are 300% higher than their competitors, which means, I don't know what it means, you know. Let me know. It means we're we're paying a lot for Apple phones. <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's what it means. You, you, yeah. So that, there's there's I'm, I'm, it's better it's better I'm than a, Samsung I'm, stuff. Well, I'm a cheap Scotsman, so that's there's a lot that's, of development costs. I'm a I'm a I'm a cheap Scot, you know. I'm I'm not willing to pay for it. So you guys talk about Xiaomi and I think I have something to yeah, say about it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Xiaomi Xiaomi is doing great because they know how to how, uh, how to win the Chinese market. They are Chinese. They know what Chinese people like, and they have a good strategy. Cause you know many Chinese people buy iPhone, but they don't really use their software a lot. What they like is the good quality of the cell phone. So Xiaomi know this. They build a really good cell phone with high quality, but they don't pay much attention to the software because Chinese people don't mind about it. Most of them. That's why they got the Chinese market, and they also sell the. I'm curious whether uh, okay. undoubtedly Xiaomi has a good product. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how much penetration they can get in developed markets. Everybody knows mm -hmm. how litigious the relationship is between Apple and Samsung. Uh, 
somewhat expand beyond China, at least into the developing world, it'd be interesting to see what kind of copyright infringements uh, start to get, uh, if not Android um, and Google, that, is, that being freeware. Um, but speaking of India, I wonder what would China's response be if a low-cost uh, manufacturer did go into his market, or if Chinese uh, penetration there is going to prevent startups in India? Well, in India right now, there's uh, a couple of local competitors. The biggest one is Micromax, which um, is sort of like India Xiaomi, if you will, where it's, you know, you know jumped on the, the, the Apple bandwagon and, or Samsung bandwagon, created a similar phone uh, which with much cheaper prices. Um, I think I think Micromax is looking to and go down the Xiaomi route for India as well. It's getting into TVs now and it's looking into like this Internet of Things IoT industry uh, as it looks to expand uh, its services. But it'll be interesting to see if Xiaomi does grow to a point where it's just Micromax and, and Xiaomi and and all the other smaller players, which there are two or three, sort of fall and just you know wither away. Have any internet companies from India had success going into the Chinese market? Um, so 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 far, most of the companies that Indian companies that have gone into China have been in two uh, industries. You've got pharma and you've got IT. And the thing is, one of India's long-standing issues is that. There be, the barriers to entry to these industries have been so strong that Indian companies haven't really been able to enter the Chinese market or succeed. So one of the examples is Tata, which Tata has a TCS, which is uh, you know a, an IT services company. They moved, they they set up shop in China about three about four years ago, and they they aren't able to service Chinese clients. They are only in China, but they're servicing their European or, or American clients. And, uh, you know, they've been, they've been struggling with market access issues for a while. In pharma as well, like, uh, you know, the, India's sort of cheap genetics, which are successful in so many other countries, they haven't been able to set up manufacturing set plans in China, um, you know, again, due to mar- market access and regulation issues. Um, and from what, I, I mean, from what I understand, from what people I've been speaking to, it doesn't look like these barriers are really going to uh, fall anytime soon. So really there's been very few almost no success stories of indian companies uh, in in china on on a, on a large scale you know i i think um i have worked with uh, yeah. a, i've i've had a business teams with a lot of indians here um sorry go ahead go ahead pat you want to go ahead I was just going to say that a lot of the big American tech companies and maybe European tech companies, uh, they can serve as an example for anybody that wants to go into the Chinese market. Several of those companies have had success, and as soon as they get tracked and start to get a lot of market share, the government steps in uh, the the local uh, competitor. So I don't know why anybody with potential to grow they uh, would look at China as a primary market that they want to tackle. It's really a little bit you know, to, to think succeed in China in the China market. Uh, you know, with maybe the caveat that you're that you're willing to uh, 
really localized, but even in that case, I, I don't think there's a track record from, from anybody throughout history. I think it's a really good point, Pat. You know, the the market here, it's huge, but it, it's, it's, you can't think of China as one market. And I'm sure anyone listening to this has heard that over and over. It's very segmented. It's very geographical. Um, you know, even on the, in the internet market, uh, how the China designed their um, infrastructure, or, I don't, or how probably, better say, lack of design, there's about 11 geographical regions and of, uh, of the internet. And so, for example, if you want your website to be live all over China, you pretty much got a host in every single region of the internet. This is some, some things even here, like where I've had to, um, you know, access some sort of website that's uh, maybe in one of these different regions. It doesn't load well, but if I turn on the VPN, it sends a signal out to America and then back into China to the thing. It actually loads. It's 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 kind of crazy. Um, so there, there's just a, a whole lot of um, of really tricky things you got to be careful with. Uh, about here in China, and one thing I even just I think specific for India, I've 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 uh, had the opportunity to work with a few different Indian um, businessmen and so forth here. And China, there's still quite a bit of of uh, I would say I, 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 not something I usually like to talk about, but there's a lot of racism here. And uh, and I've seen I've actually personally gone to some government offices to work with some, uh, I remember this one individual, uh, Indian guy, and I've done this specific procedure for, uh, for someone helping to register the police station and deal with uh, some of the work permit and visa issues. And as soon as I went in with this person and they saw they were Indian, they're just like, uh, no, sorry, you guys got to go home. They refused to help. And, uh, and these types of things are also very, very real here. Yeah, and that's uh, terrible, Jared. That's really bad. So I think, you know, what we can all take away from this discussion is that you can take your IP into a new market, but there are risks involved, right? You know, it might be hard. It might not be easy. And there are... A few success stories, but there are many more failure stories which um, have the competitor on the upside. So, this is not to say you don't do it, but it's to say that you should think about the strategy. So, I would like to thank Dev very much for everyone. Oh, there's no need for that, but thank you. Thank Joey, you Joey. Thank you, Dev. Yeah, for, for putting this together. And... Um, you know, we're happy to answer any of your questions. Our 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 email addresses are all available on the uh, website uh, at the Indian Council. And thanks for your time. Well, thanks, uh, thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jack, for hosting this, and uh, thanks, Penny and Pat. Unfortunately, who had some uh, Skype and VPN issues. Well, thanks, guys. I think everyone uh, tuning in would have. Got a nice, uh, un better understanding of what the Chinese internet landscape looks like and uh, what uh, they can expect going forward. Uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, do check out our SoundCloud page. Uh, this is where uh, you can follow us there and we'll have podcasts on a weekly basis and uh, probably uh, some follow-up podcasts with uh, these guys on uh, the Chinese internet space.